What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam with Matt as always. Um, actually, not as always. Welcome back, Matt. Did a did a solo little Yankee uh, State of Union last episode. That was fun. But uh, Matt, welcome back. Um, a lot to get into today. Obviously, first and foremost, the Knicks find themselves in a deep, deep hole now here at home, Madison Square Garden. Uh, proverbial backs against the wall. Um, that is tonight. The Rangers fire their head coach, Gerard Gallant, uh, after losing to the Devils. And now the Devils also find themselves in a very, very tough spot, um, looking to come back from and from what many would see as an insurmountable deficit. Um, the Mets seem to be hitting a free fall. Max Scherzer scratched from his start yesterday. Another ugly performance from the Mets top to bottom yesterday. Showed a little fight at the end. I thought they might actually pull it out, but a 7-6 to six loss to the Reds. Yankees uh, seem to be getting a little bit healthier. Judge came back yesterday, uh, beating up on the athletics like they should. Um, and Matt, uh, I'm going to kick it to you. We're going to start with the Knicks, but as always, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, I mean, but I would just like to see the Knicks delay the inevitable a little bit for me here, you know? Let me gear up for one more game. Let's let's protect the Garden. Yeah, and protect the Garden is right where we're going to start today. So, Matt, I, I have my own answer to this question, but I, I guess two questions. One, what has been the most frustrating thing that you've seen from the Knicks? And then my follow-up question is, it, let's say they remedy that. What what do you think you need to see from the Knicks in order, especially tonight, for them to propel themselves to give yourself a little bit of hope in this series? I think to me the most frustrating thing has just been it's each and every game. So, you know, let, let's say the Knicks find themselves in a, in a 10 to 15 point deficit of a hole for a little while. Anytime that they kind of – because, you know, it's a game of making runs. That's what the NBA is. Anytime that they find themselves – you know, like in a position where it's like, okay, the Knicks might, might be able to take over the game here. They just, they don't grab any of these loose balls. They don't grab any rebounds. I just, I mean, Miami's all over it. It's like, it's looks like men amongst boys after the ball leaves someone's hands. So I just, I just want to see the Knicks be more aggressive. And that probably starts with Julius Randle. And Julius Randle is definitely my, my biggest complaint. And I'll, this is what I'll say about Julius Randle. And I just want to get this out of the way. Um, I think Julius Randle is a great player, right? He, he's, he's a talented basketball player. And I think that there, there's a world. And I think that we could find out, you know, in the later weeks or so that maybe he just wasn't a hundred percent right for these playoffs, you know, given the ankle injury, especially the heat series, because the heat series in particular, he just hasn't played well whatsoever. Um, look at, looking at some of his percentages, you know, he, he, He's just not shooting the ball well. He didn't make a three uh, in in the game that they they lost, where they got uh, they got blown out. Um, it's it, it just this team kind of it's almost a detriment to the team. But they go as Julius Randle goes. So if Julius Randle isn't going, neither is this team. As simple as that sounds. And uh, I'll I'll break this down in the way I, I kind of see it. The Knicks need to win the first quarter tonight. Point blank. I don't like. Obviously, I care about the game. I want them to win the game. But if they don't win the first quarter tonight, and they don't come out and shoot officially in the first quarter, and like you said, they don't come out and hustle their ass off in this first quarter with their back against the wall, there's going to be much deeper questions than just Julius Randle in my mind. Because you know, I, I we I think I do. I'm pretty sure I've heard you speak highly of Spolster as well. But Spolster seems to be coaching circles around Thibodeau, or at least after the first game. You know, they they the Heat have figured out the Knicks, whether that's their defensive rotation or I think a lot of it is just the offense. You know, you see how many times have you seen Gabe Vincent and Max Struess wide open for a shot, just wide open to no fail. Um, but yeah, uh, I was like digging into some stats today. Uh, first quarter stats, the Heat ranked uh, the Knicks, sorry, the Knicks ranked in the bottom third in the NBA in regular season first quarter scoring and first quarter field goal percentage given. The Heat ranked seventh in both of those categories during the regular season. So what that tells me is the Knicks don't, you know, generally get out to good starts and the Heat do. And I think that that is held true for this series. They, the Heat have won, I think, uh, every game that they won, they have won the first quarter, I believe. 
Uh, and then same thing for the Knicks. It, it's just, I believe the start is, is more, is really needs to be the focus of the locker room today more so than, you know, anything further than that. No, I mean, I, I think you hit that right on the head. hundred um, percent. So, and comparatively, like I said, Julius Randle goes, or the Knicks go just as Julius Randle goes. Randle shooting 38% in the first quarter during the playoffs compared to 47% during the season. Um, what do you think about that? That Does that speak to me immediately? The first thing that comes to mind is, well, maybe it just takes, it's taking him a little longer to get his legs under him, given, you know, following the injury and whatnot. That's just the first thing that comes to my mind. I mean, is there anything you're seeing that at, at the Knicks, like, is it the crowd that's getting to them? What is it that you you would surmise is the reason why the Knicks have gotten off to slow starts? Well, I, I kind of I might have missed your question because I thought it was a Julius Randle question, and now it sounds like a Knicks question. Well, I really well, I guess I guess kind of both. What what do you think is the re- what do you think is the reason that Randle is is just not performing well? And what do you think do you think that also ties into the fact that the Knicks are just being so bad to start? Do you think it's like I mean, I've heard people say it's like them. They're just playing catch up the whole game. Uh, what do you What do you think it is that the Knicks are is is bothering them? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm willing to give Julius Randle somewhat of a pass, right? Because he's he's obviously not right. I think that I think we all know that he probably he probably doesn't play a lot of the games he's played if this is just the regular season. So I'm I'm willing to kind of go easy on Julius Randle, but in terms of the way that they're starting and the energy. It, it hurts me to, to critique Jalen Brunson at all. But there, there's a lot of times where he's just – he's really hesitant with the ball, kind of like trying to do too much. Like he doesn't look like the smooth, silky uh, Jalen Brunson. Did I say Randall a second ago? Yeah, you did, but I I, I follow. You're making sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean like it's a lot of times he has the ball and he just he, he's just really hesitant. Like they don't really get anything going offensively. And you're just to be clear. You're talking about Brunson now, right? So, like, I'm gonna have to disagree with you there. I think that this is this is how I see it, at least. I think that when it's almost like the Knicks have two different halves of their offense they run, right? Where it's like they'll split the court in half, and Jalen Brunson will run their traditional offense on one side, and then if they get into trouble, it's okay. Julius is over there on the left, you know high post and he's just going to go ISO ball. And then hopefully either he scores, draws a foul or someone's open. And I think that, you know, you can spin that and say, well, Jalen Brunson didn't, didn't get the offense going in the one half of the court. But I think it's, I think Randall just kind of stops all flow. Like he's, if he's not shooting well, like look, Randall was in the three point contest. He had a great three point shooting percentage this entire year, the best two years, even he he showed that he can be a you know a knockdown three point shooter, but when that's not happening and he's forced to think about it, just think about it objectively, right? Just point blank. If Julius Randle isn't making threes there, and then he ultimately is then going lower into the paint, he's clogging the lane for Jalen Brunson. He's clogging the lane for R.J. Barrett with him just standing there. And another thing, I, I believe I sent you this thread. It's the body language for me, really. The like the how is it possible that I look. I get the NBA's problem is complaining about refs and complaining about every call, but in the first quarter, if you go up for a layup and you don't get fouled, why are you not hustling back on defense? And I'm talking specifically about Julius Randle. Other guys are culprits too. I'm not. I don't want to sound like I'm just singling out Julius Randle and everyone else is playing fine because R.J. Barrett had a miserable game the other day after having a couple good games. Josh Hart moved to the bench and he had a decent game, but you need more to Josh Hart. I think there's a lot of reasons why the Knicks are losing, but I think that it's it's a big ripple effect. And I think that Julius yeah. Randle doesn't see or maybe he doesn't understand. He says all the right things. He, you know, nothing in his press conference is like off or anything, but I think actions just speak so much more volume than words that he needs to do it. Like I want to see Julius Randle on the floor just as much as Josh Hart. I want to see Julius Randle making the those oh my god I can't believe he did that plays like Jalen Brunson does like you know like that step through reverse layup Jalen Brunson made at the end of the last game that was like holy shit why isn't he be doing that all game but uh, Randall is if Randall is my whole point is if Randall wants to take the the role of the superstar in this team you need to you need to rise to these occasions and that just doesn't mean like 
you know, having one good game and saying, oh, well, Randall played well because his numbers look good. That means everything. Like what we love Josh Hart for, I want to love Julius Randall for the same reasons. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, but I mean, again, we've kind of we've dealt with the body language of Julius Randall since I mean, since the second that we shouted MVP at him. Um, that's kind of just been who he is. So, but um, like you were saying about how the Knicks kind of run these two sorts of offenses: one that runs through Julius Randall playing ISO ball, and the other one that runs directly through Jalen Brunson. I think that. I think that what I said about Jalen Brunson is because the Julius Randle factor isn't there to compliment uh, Brunson. So, like, when that's not there, now you have guys like R.J. Barrett, who, you know, he's not coming off a great game, but I think he's averaging 22 points, which is not something that we imagined we would see from R.J. Barrett. Yeah, well, I think that if there's any positive, and I'm not, I'm not writing the Knicks off dead here, because, look, you win this game – go back to Miami where everyone always says, you know, there's a lot of Nick fans in Miami, blah, blah, blah. And the way this team has bounced back, we've seen crazier things. I'm not writing this team off as dead, but I, I think if you can take a, have one takeaway that's very, very positive or maybe two, obviously Jalen Brunson, I think is a bona fide star in this league period yes. Two, I've really, other than that one game, I have loved what I've seen from RJ Barrett. He not only, not only like, I don't really even want to get into numbers or percentages. He, he just plays with like, I think this is a lot of like a Josh Hart effect, honestly, where he seems to be like rubbing off on him. Like I haven't seen RJ like really be in such attack mode on offense for a while. Really? Like, and I thought, I thought he's taken leaps this postseason. Uh, obviously bumping the road, of course, with that one game the other day, uh, Again, just I think he had like a, he was like a minus twenty four or something like that. Look, it's the playoffs. He's a young player. You can't expect him to be you know nails every time he goes out there. Just just the realistic situation. And uh, for the Knicks, like, is it is this a what's like the main culprit? I think that I think not only has Thibodeau got out coached, not only has Julius Randle been uh, kind of beating himself, not for lack of a better term, but. Mitchell Robinson really has was such a factor in the Cavs series, and Bam Adebayo has whether it's Bam or the whole team or Spolstra, they have neutralized Mitchell Robinson and everything he brings to the Knicks in this series for sure. Yeah, no, I, but I I think the Knicks do everything that you said. I think they you're were muted. Going. I think you were just muted for a second there. Yeah, <laughs> technical yeah. technical difficulties. You know, you know, people like to like mow the lawn at the worst times. That's that's what I'm going through right now. Oh yeah, no, the worst. Um, I, I think the Knicks do exactly what you asked of them. I think they go out there with some energy tonight. I think they they win the first quarter, and and I, I like the Knicks to bring it back to Miami. I wanted to ask you one more question about the Knicks, though. Now that we've seen both, do you prefer Josh Hart off the bench, or do you just want to see more of him? Just get him in the starting lineup. I have a long form answer to that, and the long form answer is, I th- I think I like him off the bench if that means that he's getting run with Jalen Brunson on like a second unit. Like, so I don't want him. I want I like him and Brunson on the court together, right? But I don't necessarily like Josh Hart starting, right? So I, to me, I think the lineup tonight should be Brunson, Grimes, Randall, uh. RJ Mitch should be the starting lineup. Josh Hart off the bench. And look, tell Josh Hart, I, I don't want you to just be like, you know, in the regular season, all the Knicks asked was, look, we're going to play through. You're going to be our sixth option, right? But Emmanuel quickly has had a miserable playoffs. Quentin Grimes had a good game the other night. Sure, it was his birthday. Good for him. Hopefully he can have an even bigger game and a bigger impact. But if he's not going to, if Emmanuel, the production is not going to be there from quickly and it's not going to be there from Obi, Josh Hart, we're going to need you to be in attack mode too. Like, and I don't think it's like kind of asking too much. I've always wondered why he's not shooting more threes in this team. I, like percentage aside, when he was on Portland, he shot the three ball pretty well. Uh, and to me, he comes to the Knicks and they, it's almost like they change his role a little bit and he's been great. I don't want it to sound like, jo- like any, I'm ripping Josh Hart or anything like that, but I think in, in a situation where your back is against the wall, you need everything everyone's got. And if Josh Hart can give you, you know, two threes tonight on a two two broken Julius Randle plays where Julius Randle just kicks it to him at the last second and he can hit a shot or two, hopefully in the first quarter where, you know, you get the crowd into it a little bit. That's what the Knicks need. And I think that 
and again, I think Josh Hart is mentally tough enough and physically um, or has the ability physically and athletically to do that. So I, I like him. My answer is I like him off the bench, but I would like to see him with uh, Jalen Brunson in almost like a small ball lineup, which is another thing that I think, I guess, unless you had anything other to say about this series, we'll obviously take a prediction on the game tonight. But uh, the last thing I really want to say with the Knicks is something I've thought from the beginning, and I get you didn't want to run this against the Cavs because they're tall, but if Bam Adebayo is, is just being – is out athletic athleticism-ing, is that even a word? Is being a better athlete than Mitchell word Robinson? Now. Word of Jace. If he's just going to be a better athlete than Mitchell Robinson, put Julius Randle at the five. For real. Like, put Randle at the five, Obi at the four. That spaces the floor. Now everyone can shoot. RJ at the three, Josh Harder, Grimes at the two, and and Brunson at the, at the point guard. You that's a small ball lineup. The Warriors do it. Good teams do it. Even the Lakers in the regular season would run LeBron at the five when AD would have like a bad game or needed some minutes off. Run it. Like let's if if they're gonna if if Bam Adebayo was gonna totally neutralize Mitchell Robinson, just take him out of the game and put Julius Randle there. He's fully capable of doing it. They've run it before. Uh, I, I am I would be stunned. To see, you know, especially if they go down in this game, I would be stunned to see them not do that. But I digress. I, I I'm, you know, yeah, you know, I, I just think we, we were all excited because of how the regular season with Miami uh, or against Miami kind of panned out. Mm-hmm. I think you look at this and you just go, all right, well, you know, the Knicks aren't the Knicks aren't Miami yet. You're right there, close. I mean, they almost didn't beat them without Jimmy Butler. Yeah. That's a big thing, and yet is I think yet is the is a good way to end it, right? A good way to end this segment because when if all else fails, and let's say they lose tonight, or let's say they lose the next game, the Knicks overachieved for real, definitely, definitely overachieved. And I think that there's been like obviously in the moment, everyone's going to want them to win. Everyone's going to want them to you want them your team to get be the one holding the trophy at the end of the year. If you get to the dance, if you get to the dance, you want to dance, right? So, yeah. uh, but. You know, taking a step back, and obviously there's been some some complaints, like we just kind of laid out. Uh, but this has been a success for the Knicks this year, regardless of what happens tonight, regardless of what happens in the rest of this postseason. Um, throw me out a score tonight. I mean, these games haven't been very high scoring. Yeah. Give me the Knicks. Give me the Knicks. One hundred one. Um, Miami ninety-five. See, I'm gonna go even lower than that because I think this is gonna be a gritty game. I think I'm gonna go like Knicks ninety-four, Miami ninety. Ninety-four ninety. That's what I'm gonna say. In a close game. Do we uh do we do we like the Warriors to kinda start to make this a series tonight? I mean I, I assume they, they protect home court tonight, right? That's if they have magic left, like could they could they flip this thing? I'll tell you what, if this is uh this is my LeBron fan in me coming out. There was a lot of talk after, you know, the Warriors won, beat LeBron. Like, hey, like, don't let Curry beat LeBron because he's going to dethrone him. It would be quite the statement if LeBron can beat the Warriors, send them home again, by the way, because a couple years ago, remember, he sent them home uh, in the that play-in game where it was like that crazy one-game playoff. Remember that? I think it was 2021, I believe. Um, sent, sent the Warriors home, Lakers-Warriors, and a much worse Lakers team. But I digress. I think it would be a huge thing for like LeBron fans and the LeBron supporters. Um, I don't think they do it tonight, but I think the Lakers win the series. Yes. Yeah, I do too. I'd so, like to see it. Yeah, I, and uh, to be honest, like uh, we're big into like viewership. This Warriors Lakers series has been like a machine for the NBA. A absolute yeah. machine. All the people that say like you know the NBA is rigged. No, I just think the NBA kind of sits down and they figure out every year how do we get like the highest leverage games and the highest drama games to unfold in the highest leverage times. Yeah. And it works every single year. You know how many times I've heard people just throughout this series not say to me like, oh, the Lakers play tonight or oh, I'm excited for the Lakers game. Like people literally say to me like, oh, LeBron versus Curry tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what it is. There's, there's, because I think, I think Kay was talking about this yesterday, but he said like, I think it was like 4 million people watch the, the Knicks and the, the Heat, which are two massive markets. And then like 7.5 watched LeBron and Curry, which is like, yep. which is just like really 
getting into obviously they're they're superstars, some two of the biggest athletes in the world, but like that it's the 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 landscape which they bring and what they bring to the NBA, especially when they play each other, is just astronomical. I mean, it's like Steph Curry is we everyone always like praises Kobe and Michael for being so like loved abroad and there's people people love Steph Curry around the world. He's like a global yeah. global figure and not much more than basketball too, just like, you know, his whole personality and, you know, persona off the court, but I digress. I, I, you like the uh you like the Warriors tonight as well? Yeah. Yeah, I got just tonight. All right. So, all right, so you agree the series. Um well, hard transition here. Um one series that just ended, uh the De- the sorry, the Devils overtake the Rangers and ultimately uh, dethrone or get fired, we'll say, the Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant um, in what, to me, again, outside outside looking in here with hockey, to me seemed like the fan base was a little split on that move. What what say you to that? Yeah, I mean, that Ranger-Devil series was really like, it was fun. That was a roller coaster of the series. Um, I had met with some people that I knew were going to the game. I was in the city around the garden. I didn't go to the game, but this is before game three when it's coming back to the garden. So this is before game three even took place. And some of my friends are like, oh man, you know, I wish we were going to game four instead so we could just like watch the Rangers sweep this and be done with it. (laughs) Rangers win two, Devils win two. Then they split, they go to seven and the Devils come out on top. Um, But yeah, now, now the Rangers are head coachless. And the Rangers have made a habit of, of doing this sort of thing. Um, I think since 2009, uh, John Tortorella has been the longest tenured head coach here, uh, lasting, what, five years, I think it was, and getting the boot after um, an Eastern Conference final elimination. But, I mean, you look at Elaine Vigneault, David Quinn, now Gallant. The Rangers just, they seem to just kind of change things up at the first sign of trouble. Um, and I guess you can't blame them. You know, the window's kind of closing on this team. Not to call them old, they're really not, but they're not the devils, right? They're not like all these core pieces of yours, your Panarins, your Mikas, your Criders, even guys like Truba, who's 29. I mean, these guys aren't 25, 26. Um, and you're still not in that rarefied air of being a true contender yet. So I, I get why the Rangers make a move like this. And, you know... The, they, they kind of have the right to do whatever they want, right? But I wanted to ask you, when it comes to head coaching, and, you know, I, I know that these guys are hired to be fired, and that's what they sign up for. Um, Galan's been here two years, and he missed the checkpoint that he set last year by a game. So, like, what do you think about that? Is that a fa- is that Does that make sense just across all sports? Now, like I said, I gave you reasons why the Rangers do this sort of thing. But doesn't that just kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth? Like, you come over here, you make the playoffs twice. And not to mention, uh, the roster that he had been coaching all year, you know, right before the playoffs or right before, you know, games became important. I mean, you tweaked the roster like crazy. Well, that's what I was – that's kind of what I was going to start at. Again, I, I can I can speak – I watch this every second of the Devils-Rangers series. I was watching the Rangers a little bit down the stretch. Um, like Just like you just said – they get Patrick Kane, right? They tweak the lineup. A lot of a lot of Rangers. Another big, big acquisition right before Kane. Well, a lot, of, a lot of people. Uh, I was watching with a lot of Rangers fans, and they were questioning some of like the lines that that Gallant was using. And you know, Patrick Kane, not for nothing, didn't really do much the entire postseason. So, no. and you got a guy in Igor who is for major, great majority of the playoffs and great majority of this series, great, I mean, just great majority of his career is an absolute stud goalie. And you, you acquire a guy like Patrick Kane and you're, you're, you, that's kind of like telling the organization that, you know, yeah, I said that this is my benchmark, but when you do all that and you have all these guys in place, like you said, at the age they're at and the level they're at, there's really nowhere to go other than, you know, winning the whole thing, right? Anything you get to a point where, I mean, we see it with the Bucks, right? We had this debate the other day, the Bucks in basketball. Once you win a championship and you keep adding and keep growing, anything less than a championship is failure. And not saying that the Rangers won, but once you set the notion straight that, all right, now we're going to get Patrick Kane. Now we're going to get this guy. Now we're, we're going to keep the kid line together because we want to get there. 
keep their chemistry together for looking towards the future, I guess. To me, the it is a failure when, when you don't win at all. And it might sound very easy, but like you said, they're not the Devils where if the, if, if the Rangers win that Game 7 and the Devils go home, they still feel fine, just like we said about the Knicks. Whereas the Rangers, they set that bar high and they, they the organization did everything that they could to, to kind of reach that bar and they came up short. And like you said, guys get hired to get fired. And Gerard Gallant, I think, is the most recent case of that. And look, if you're a Rangers fan, you disagree with it. Uh, you're on the wrong side now. So just, just like kind of people say about the president, support the coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, a man, two seasons though. And it just felt like a lot of those moves were reckless. I mean, you brought in like a 90 year old Patrick Kane who, if the puck's not on his stick, he's kind of useless. And that showed, yeah. especially against the devil's team that not for nothing, Jack Hughes is unbelievable. He's on every puck, but I'd say for majority of that series, I'm sitting there like the Devils are just like faster. They're just playing the game faster than the Rangers are. And ultimately, it's funny because like the notion in sports is like, you know, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. But it looked like the Devils were sprinting for the every game for the entire series. And look, maybe they gas themselves out and that's why they find themselves in the hole they are now. But they beat the Rangers. Like the the battle of the battle of New York, they won. So yeah, but it's 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 also strange now too. I mean, if you're the Rangers and you're looking at this Devil series with Carolina, I mean, the Devils are getting they're just getting clapped. Yeah, like and you couldn't beat that team. Yeah. What, so what does that say about you? Yeah, the Devils gave up uh, four goals in in a, what was it like a like a seven minute span yesterday? They gave up five goals in the second period. Uh, they lose six to one coming off a game where they scored eight goals. They're kind of a weird team. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, that that's just, that to me is a little bit telling, like, all right, you're going to fire your coach. You're going to, you're going to try it again because you, you want to capitalize on this, but I mean, you're, you're not very close. Yeah. And, and I have, I'd be lying if I told you, I, I actually have been intently watching the devil's Panther series or the devil's uh, hurricane series. Cause quite frankly, the games have just been shit. It's been like 5-1, 6-1 every single game, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I did think it's interesting that uh, – maybe you have a better explanation with this than I do, but why the heck do the, do the Devils go back to Vanacek? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know either, but yeah, it makes I no sense. He, so he was, he was banged up at one point. Uh, he's in the net yesterday. Eventually, Schmidt comes in when – I mean, the guy couldn't stop a nosebleed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, definitely interesting, interesting choice. Uh, I think, I mean, are you a, are you a sour Rangers fan and aren't rooting for the Devils? Are you one of those people? No, I, I, I or you just don't give a shit. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the Devils. Okay, cool. I mean, are you, a, are you a Jack Hughes guy? Or like, like when Jack Hughes scores against the Rangers, are you like, oh, f that guy, or are you like, wow, he's so good? No, it's a golf clap. Okay, all right, I can respect that. Really, they're the only team we have here, right? I mean, it's it's, it's kind of neat to to rep a New Jersey team. Yeah, I'm kind of sad that like tickets aren't going to be as cheap as they were like two years ago. I remember I sat like row five for like forty bucks against. Was that a, was that a Woo Crew vehicle? Uh, no, not a Woo Crew vehicle, but uh, that was post Woo Crew. Actually, yeah. that was actually uh, that was. I was that that was either this year or the end of last year. I think they played the Senators. It was like a shit game, but still cool. Um, speaking of there's, golf, what say? There's there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of names. I mean, that are being thrown out. It's a little yeah. bit early for the Rangers. I mean, unfortunately, every two or three years we have to do this thing where now we have to listen to people clamor for Mark Messier to be the head coach with no head coaching experience. <laughs> That's very very Brett Gardner Yankees ish. It's a lot of the people that are up there in age who are like, no, nah, he just, he knows how to win. He has that temper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. So uh, the the two names that I'm hearing the most are uh, Joel Quinville, who he was, uh, he was the head coach for Chicago for, I, I think, over a decade. Uh, won a few cups there, most recently with Florida. Um, I, I don't know if he's, I think he's in the top three in terms of just wins all time so he's a guy who's been around the block uh he's a proven great head coach and the other one is Peter Lavalette who I think actually played for the Rangers briefly um this year had coached the Washington Capitals he's kind of been all over uh he's been a head coach in the league since 2001 
I think either of those they're they're nice options. I think Quinville kind of kind of brings a little, I, I don't know, a little lust, like a little. It's kind of a sexy hire there, uh, kind of like a Buckshaw Walter to the Mets sort of deal. <laughs> we'll get into that next. Yeah, so those are those are the two that I'm hearing as of right now. And then, um, you know, if we, you know, you and I both listen to a lot of radio, we're gonna have to listen to the Messier calls until. Um, until this is solved. Yeah. Well, uh, long off season for the Rangers for sure. Um, but you mentioned golf claps and I think that, uh, firsthand I can kind of tell you that the Mets are getting, uh, golf claps at best, uh, right now. It is a free fall for the Mets. Um, again, another hard transition. You mentioned Buck Walter gets thrown out of the game yesterday, uh, against the Reds in a game where, it was a, I think it was a magic. It was magic that they were even in this game at the end of the game. Uh, they Max Scherzer gets scratched from his start uh, about a couple about an hour or two. No, I think maybe more, maybe like three hour, three four hours before his start. Uh, neck spasms. He says it's not that serious. Um, David Peterson, Met legend, comes up to uh, his triumphant return to uh, the blue and orange and gets shelled pretty much by the Reds. So. Uh, what is going on with the Mets, uh, in your eyes? I, I have my answer, plural answers, plural. I would like to see your perspective of like, what the hell is going on with this team? Well, yeah, I mean, free fall is a great way to put it. That's exactly what's happening right now. Um, I think they've won three out of their last 15. Against bad teams. Against bad teams. Like we're talking like, I mean, let's just go through it. I mean, you lose to the Reds yesterday. Um, you take one of three against the Rockies. You get swept by Detroit. That's that was bad. That was an that was one of the uglier baseball outputs I've ever seen. Really? Like, what are we even talking about? You lose two of three to the Nationals. Um, no, the Mets don't look good right now, and I, I think there's there's a lot of reasons as to why. There's a lot of holes um, for a team that we were kind of all excited about. It's strange how many holes there are. Um, I'm not going to harp on Evan Diaz anymore, but. It, Listen, the Mets don't hit for much power. And I really, the offense is the thing I want to harp on the least. Um, they haven't been dreadful, uh, but they haven't. And we said this before the season. I think I said this two episodes ago. The Mets are not a great offensive team. They just aren't. Now, you have a guy who's coming off a batting title. You have a guy who could hit 60 home runs and no one would blink. You have some pieces. And I think they're, I think offensively, where are they in, in the MLB? Like 20th. I actually think they're, they're having a better offensive output than the Yankees right now. Um, the real issue with the Mets here is obviously the pitching. So uh, Max Scherzer, is, I mean, he's missing time, whether it's suspension, whether it's injury. Uh, and when he pitches, he doesn't look great. Is Max Scherzer just done? If he is, then you're in a world of trouble. Well, let me, can I stop you there real quick? Well, I, I would, I think there's a lot of points that we're going to get to. Let's start with Scherzer. So Max Scherzer gets suspended from, for 10 games by the MLB for quote unquote using a foreign substance on his hand. Now he swore on his children's life. He wasn't cheating. Uh, the whole thing where the, the umpires told him to wash his hands, then wash it with alcohol. And then adding that, that mixture of water, alcohol, rosin, and sweat ultimately made his hands. I believe the quote was the stickiest I've ever seen, which is erotic in itself. Uh, but Max Scherzer gets suspended for 10 games and every umpire that was working the game said pretty much verbatim that he was cheating. Max Scherzer says no. Uh, does Do you think that's like a, like that to me, to, for him to come out and then like all of a sudden, like let's just say his season goes down the drain is very like last year, Garrett Cole-ish to me. Like, do you think he's like mentally, is it like a mental thing that he's out of it now? Like he needs to get back into the swing of it. Or do you just think he's either hurt, or do you just think he's just, like, not it anymore? So what I'll say about that that day, that game, is, you know, I, I don't think that he was, let's say, necessarily cheating. Now, when we talked about this initially, you made a lot of good points. Like, listen, just don't apply the rosin on the bench. Do it, Like, you know what I mean? So to kind of cut corners, listen, do I think he used anything illegal, and do I think it's kind of strange to – throw someone out with just immediate suspension just because, you know, you might have thought he was. Do you remember that video a couple of years ago that um, your your favorite player, uh, Trevor Bauer? My favorite. He made where it's just sweat and rosin. 
and he just puts his hand down on a baseball and he just picks it up like this and the ball's sticking to his hand. Yes, I do. So, so rosin's legal, apparently. Um, whatever. Matt, Matt Scherzer gets thrown out of the game. He's suspended. I, I don't really, I don't know that I think this is like a, I don't think this is a, a, like a no more sticky stuff kind of now I'm shot sort of thing. Uh, I think he's too good a pitcher. I think he's too smart. Uh, do I think maybe he's just washed? I think that that's the more plausible route here, that maybe he's just done. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe all those things he used for his hand, and while maybe they weren't illegal, maybe that's just something that he needs now. Maybe that's part of it. But I, I think maybe he's just dealing with injuries, and maybe he's just not very good anymore. Um, and that's supposed to be, I guess, your ace, because Ver- Verlander's made one start this year. And uh, it resulted in a loss to the Tigers. So you don't have the pitching at all. Well, uh, I agree. I agree. I, if, if it was up to me, I think it would be like a culmination of all those things together where it's like maybe he not necessarily saying he was cheating, but maybe he was maybe using too much. Some strange combination of the of the rosin, yeah. sweat, alcohol, whatever it was. Uh, something is different, right? Whether he's hurt, he's using obviously using something different or differently. Um, but. What I'll say is, uh, you mentioned Verlander too. Verlander lost that game, but two, they lost that game two nothing, where he gave up two. I think it was yeah. he gave up two runs in the first inning. Yeah. Fine. He actually start, he's pitching today, I believe, right against the against the Reds in a yeah. game that like it's not a must win per se, but like you lose Verlander start around again, where if you get that if if Verlander replicates that performance again, two runs, I think he gave five innings. You need to win this game. That's it. Period. Yeah. Here's where I'll disagree with you. We could debate yeah. this. I think the Mets. You're right. The Mets' offense is is not elite. Like it's not an elite offense. However, you add Beatty to this. You, you're before the season. You don't have Beatty up. You don't have Alvarez up. You call up Alvarez. You call up Beatty. You're you're expending your resources to for this season. And your offense is still not good. Beatty's great, and he's and it's still not good. Alvarez has two home runs, and it's still not good. Marte is having is lost. He, he's he's hitting. I think he's under two ten two twenty uh, now. Uh, yesterday he gets up in the second inning. Here's the situation: second inning against the Reds, two outs, no one on, in an O one count, and he tries to lay down a bunt, and it's a foul ball. Yeah. If, like that's just a microcosm of the Mets. Like not only is it is is it's just like underperforming, but and you brought up the Yankees that they're they're actually having a better output than the Yankees. They might be, but the Yankees just got Aaron Judge back without having him for a week. Stan hasn't been in the lineup for two weeks. Yeah. Bader just got back. The Mets are relatively healthy on offense. That's the concern. Yeah, no, 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 hundred percent. I, my whole point was I just didn't want to really kill the offense because I think that the way this team was built, and you mentioned Beatty, you mentioned Alvarez. I'm very pleased with the way they played. I think Beatty needs to play every day. We could talk about that in a minute, but continue. Yeah, yeah, but no, I'm, I'm, you're right. The, what I'm saying is they're not an elite offense, but they're not terrible. And I think the way this, and actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say they're not terrible. I would say, like. Like on their on an average day for the Mets, because right now it's just it's a it's a dumpster fire. I think on an average day for the Mets, they're a good offense, and they were expecting to have Scherzer of last year and Cy Young winner Verlander of last year, and you haven't gotten it yet. And Sanga, and then right, and you were and you also thought you were going to have the best closer in the league, and and that you know that didn't happen. So you already kind of put yourself in a position where Sanga probably had to be the third best pitcher on your staff. And he kind of pitched well for a while. And his last couple he's starts, not bad. He, kind of, he actually hasn't been bad at all. No, but he's, he's kind of, he's starting to kiss the five ERA. Yeah. So he's, he's had a tough couple starts. Quintana hasn't thrown a pitch yet. And really, I mean, the, the biggest issue here is the bullpen. I mean, I'm at the game, what, two days ago. And I texted you, uh, or I texted the group chat, just like, oh my God, I have to watch Jimmy Yacobonis now. <laughs> Two minutes later, the Mets are down six runs. Yeah, that that was the it was it was bad enough that the the scorecard looked funny. Like you look at the scorecard and laugh because <laughs> it was like it was like dark circle, dark circle, dark circle, dark circle. All scored runs in one inning off the same pitcher that just came in, and yeah. he was actually like not bad. He's actually on the I think they put him in the IL yesterday. Is that correct? 
Yeah, 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 they put him on the aisle yesterday. But look, I don't want to hang on the rim. I don't want to be this like is, this, is, this is May seventh. This is the game that they lost by a touchdown. Oh yeah, to the I spent my birthday watching this. Yeah, um, I texted at two fifty seven. Redacted curse word. I'm gonna have to watch Yakubonis two fifty seven. Yeah, three ten. Might be the worst player. Ever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's actually. I I hate to I hate to kind of rip the guy because. He's from our. He's from a a, ta- a town adjacent to ours, literally. Um, so you know, we'll always like to support the homegrown. But look, I don't want to be the guy, the the Yankee fan that hangs on the rim and says like, "Oh, I knew the Mets would be shit all along." But you can play me back. Even before the Diaz injury, my concern was the bridge to the ninth inning. The bridge to the oh, ninth had, inning was always an of, issue. We had a lot of discussions. Yeah, about that. and it's. It's coming. I mean, you're throwing. I mean, Ngosik, Tommy Hunter. Who the heck are these guys? They're they're literally just like scrap heap guys. Like this is. I know more athletic pitchers than I do in the Met bullpen. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, dude, we're talking Brooks Brooks Raley, yeah. Tommy Hunter. I mean, back to the starters. Carrasco is just not a major league pitcher anymore. But you know what? What's interesting about it though is like. Our whole thing about, you know, the bridge to the ninth inning. I still like Adovino, and Robertson's been fantastic. Yes. It's almost like what the bridge would have been is fine, and everything else is just collapsed. Yeah, no, that's you're 100% right. If your bullpen in, you know, looking forward to, we could look forward to like a postseason scenario, I guess, but in a big game, we'll say, uh, the, the, the combination of, let's say, Scherzer 5, Verlander 5, then a, some combination of Adovino, Robertson, Diaz should be a guaranteed win every time, especially with the the talent that the Mets have on offense to to go with that. That should be two wins every single week, no matter who you play, no matter what day, no matter where. That should be two wins. You take Diaz out of that situation, then you factor in the offense is feeble, then you factor in Scherzer is... <laughs> Scherzer is like you said, could potentially is on washed alert or maybe just injured alert. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. reaching ugly, ugly territory where I, you know, I don't want to be like the, again, don't want to be like the Yankee fan that's like keep that same energy. But like, you know, a lot of people said, you know, Yankees are out, no way they win the division. The Mets are in that same scenario. They're what eight behind the the, the Braves right now, and the Mets know the Braves don't lose. Yeah, so it's it's a tough scenario. Um. Anything else you wanted to say before? Uh, is there anything? Uh, I guess the last question I'll ask about the Mets before we move on to the Yankees is, I mean, like, give me give me the next week. Like, not don't even care who they play, but like, what would what would like kind of be like? Okay, maybe there was just a skid. Like, what would make you feel that way? Like, do they need to start like blowing teams out? Do they need to well, s- no. like they have to stop the bleeding right now, and it, it has to start today. You have to say, you know, Justin, this is why you're here. All right, this is like the, the no one imagined a skid this bad, and it can't go much longer, and it, you can't reach a low point like this again. So I, I guess the hope would be, and it's really not it, it's it's not so far fetched to just play the okay like who's gonna get right game like is Scherzer gonna get right is Marte gonna figure it out I mean like we're we're kind of dunking on the Mets offense if you tell me you have Marte of last season. You know, with Nimmo, with Alonzo, w- with McNeil, with the kids who are hitting hitting really well right now. I don't. I, I think they have a chance to not be a feeble offense. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, you know, Alvarez had two home runs yesterday, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then just listen. I mean, if, if Scherzer and Verlander can figure it out, and Senga can just kind of float around where he is right now, I don't think that's a terrible one, two, three. Maybe you get Quintana in there, and he's okay. You trade for someone. I, Big thing is going to be you're going to have to make moves bullpen wise. That's going to be the biggest thing because I mean, it's it's embarrassing to watch them lose games the way they're losing games. Even when they tack on a bunch of runs, it's like oh my god, it's only the sixth inning. They're screwed. Yeah, like the Mets almost need to have like a like an like a four five run lead to make you. I didn't even say four runs is even kind of close. Five six run lead to in like past the fifth inning for you to be like okay, I'm starting to feel good about this game. Yeah. Right, and I mean, it's a, they have to figure it out with what they have right now. Because I mean, right now we're not even we're not even at the point where we know who's going to be available for the Mets. Like we're not we haven't even reached that like fun sh- sort of juncture of the season yet. 
So all, all the guys that I just named, they have to just figure it out. Yeah. Um, the turnaround has to start tonight. I mean, stop the bleeding. Get a win with Justin Verlander on the mound. You know, put up as many runs as you did yesterday, but, you know, don't shit the bed. Yeah, and uh, de- definitely. Um, we'll move over to the Yankees now. Um, I-, I think that I'll, – I'll say this. Uh, there hasn't been – I'm in a weird spot with the Yankees for a couple reasons. There hasn't been a series that the Yankees have lost that I felt better about than the Rays series. Does that make sense? Does that statement make sense? I'll explain in no. a second. But the 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 Yankees go to go to Tampa Bay, uh, the best team in baseball. Not even not even a question. Yankees on a skid, just losing Judge. Uh, just no one no one playing well at all. And they they hung with the Rays very much. So they win one of two, and the last game they blow it in the end. Some very questionable decisions by Aaron Boone. I uh, don't really need to get into any sort of X's and O's about that. I have a I have a couple thoughts on the, the whole closer situation, uh, Clay Holmes, but we'll get into that. But now you get Bader back, who Bader looks like Babe Ruth right now. He has back to back triples uh, in back to back games. Bet bet Harrison Bader to get a triple every game until he doesn't. Um, he looks like he's going to solidify that five to six spot in the order, as well as provide Gold Glove outfield to center field. Aaron Judge comes back. That's we obviously know who Aaron Judge is. Anthony Rizzo quietly hitting just around 300, and he is like absolute nails with two strikes. I was looking at some of his numbers yesterday. He's unbelievable with two strikes. No, nothing surprising there. I'll say this. I mean, even Aaron Hicks, even Aaron Hicks is having a good stretch. IKF is hitting the ball. The Yankees offense looks fine. I'm cool with it, even without Stan. And we're just gonna get Stan back in the next, you know couple weeks probably and then Severino will come back I think we only have one more Clark Schmidt uh start to kind of kind of sit through or suffer through I like to say um before Seve comes back um and I think that the Yankees are in a good spot here like I think that like they're beating up on the the athletics like they should uh definitely don't don't give this game away today uh the Yankees will play in about 30 minutes from now um it's uh, 12 o'clock. Uh, what's today? Wednesday? Wednesday afternoon. And um, yeah, I think the Yankees are in a good spot. I think they're they're They kept their head afloat until everyone now is going to be healthy. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if we're here in, you know, the middle of June and we're saying, wow, the Yankees just won, you know, 11 out of their last 14 or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're going to I'm I, people. People got started to get really concerned. But, you know, unlike the Mets. The Yankees on offense were beat up bad. The Yankees, I think, have the most guys in the injured list in the entire league. But I think it's like it was like 15 at one point last week with Judge on the IL and now Peraza on the IL. I mean, it's still just guy after guy revolving door in that trainer's room. But I like where the Yankees are at. Um, I, I think that the the there's a lot of different a lot of different good things we see, and I'll I'll, I'll stick to some bad things, right? I think that there's going to be a bullet that's going to have to be bitten whenever Stanton comes back or Donaldson. Uh, that might be the the DFA Hicks window. Uh, there's going to be some roster moves that need to be made. Although Hicks, in the last week, has been giving a pretty big FU to Yankee fans. I mean, after getting booed in the first game, uh, first two games in, in Tampa Bay, imagine that. Imagine going to Tampa Bay and getting booed by your fans who went to go see you in Tampa Bay. I mean, that's got to be rock bottom, right? So yeah. maybe Hicks saw a rock bottom. He's he hits a home run. Obviously, something behind that. He had an extra base hit uh, as well. The next day, I think he's his he looks a little bit more confident in the field. I'm not going to say he's going to you know carry the Yankees or should play every day, but he looks like a serviceable baseball player right now. Same thing with IKF. Um, don't hate IKF at third whatsoever, especially now that you can keep uh, Oswaldo Cabrera in left field with Bader and Judge there. Um, and then Glaber's getting hot. DJ looks fine. I, I think the Yankees are fine. I, and and not that it was ever in doubt, but um, I don't know what from the outside looking in. What's your assessment of you know the the state of the Yankees right now? Because my state of the union the other day was pretty uh, not negative, but I was kind of getting a little bit of like, uh, all right, we got to start kicking up a little bit mode. Yeah, no, I mean I'm right there with you. Uh, I like what you said about the race series. I mean that was that was three uh, one run games. 
And like you said, unlike the Mets, this is a team that has uh, reinforcements on the way. Um, you wanted to talk about the closer, I guess just the bullpen in general. But before we get there, you mentioned Severino on his way back. And, um, you know, you wouldn't have to suffer through Clark Schmidt anymore. When Severino comes back, is that just the is that the definite just impromptu move? Like, are you do you want Brito to be a, in your rotation? I don't I don't hate Brito, right? I, I think that I think Brito is he had two rough starts against the Twins and then he's been a fifth starter. And you know, I here's the thing. The the caveat in all of this, uh Carlos Rodon gets a uh, cortisone shot in his back yesterday. I think he's shut down for 48 hours from doing absolutely nothing. Uh, Then I think they're going to try and test him throwing off a mound. And I'll say this. After these 48 hours are up, which I believe are up, I think probably Friday is when the 48 hours end. If he throws off the mound and there is any sort of like similar discomfort in the next coming days, that's it for Rodon for this year. Shut him down. Put him on the 60-day Make a move, call someone up, move someone into the starting role. Uh, just, I think it would at this point or at that point, it'd be best for Rodon to just be put on ice until next season and figure it out, and not even have to worry about getting back. Like, get your body right and then become a pitcher again would be what I would tell Rodon. That's one. So that kind of factors into it. So tough for me to really say for certain right now, but in forty-eight hours, I could have a much clearer picture for you. Is kind of how I'll answer that. But I'm gonna operate under the assumption that Rodone does not pitch this year for the New York Yankees. Um, and I think that th- that's going to be the, not necessarily like a move they're going to make, but I think they, they definitely have the ability to make like a marginal move like that. Like, would I be stunned to see them trade Peraza for an arm uh, by the deadline? Not at all. Uh, I mean, the the talks of Glaber for uh, one of those Marlins arms in uh, the offseason, whether it was Pablo Lopez or... Sandy Alcantara, I think, are done. I think the Yankees are going to stick with Glaber. I, I think he's playing well. You know, he's playing good defensively. He's going to hit you like 260, 270 with 25 home runs and 70 RBIs. That's a great second baseman to me. Like, I'm cool with that. I don't need him to hit 300 with 40 home runs. That's I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. So, I think that the Yankees, while some of their depth has been a little bit tested, uh, I really like Jake Bowers. Not in the outfield, per se, but... Have you watched his swing at all? Here's a swing path analyze. Another swing path to yeah. analyze. The Yankees love. I'm on this. I'm on board with them. I see it exactly. Just watch the game for five minutes. Jake Bauer's swing is like Tino Martinez swing, like a perfect Yankee swing, like just absolutely perfect. Um, but I said the same thing about Rafael Ortega in the beginning of the year. I haven't heard his name once. Um, I was gonna say you just put the uh, swing path curse on another player. He's gonna be DFA in two weeks. Yeah. Well, hey, look. If I I've I've seen it. Like last night, did you watch the Yankees at all last night? I did not. Jake Bowers hit a ball to. He's a lefty, mind you. Lefty to that deep part in left center where they have that clear uh the clear thing by the bullpen in left center in Yankee Stadium, the furthest part of Yankee oh, yeah. Stadium. One away off the bat, a nuke. 420 left center to from a lefty it was a shot like i like that kind of made me realize like i liked his swing but then i was like okay now i see what the yankees see in this kid and i like him at dh he realistically and getting back to the race series the yankees win the first game of that series if jake bowers catches that ball in left field he dropped the ball in left field that had a, i think it was like a 99 percentile catch rate like it was a it was the, one of the worst drops of the season, if not the worst, and cost in the game. There's a world where he makes that catch, and we get like one more strikeout in that third game, and we sweep the race without Judge, without Stanton. You know, like I, that's why I think it's all positive for the Yankees. And, and uh, last thing I'll say is, I'll get to the closer situation. I'm uh, this is a little bit outside the box, but I've always thought that. You know, unless you have a guy like a Mariano Rivera or unless you have a guy like a Trevor Hoffman or Edwin Diaz, one of those just like absolute no doubt you play eight innings, they play nine innings sort of guys where just like you win if you're leading the ninth inning. I'm for a committee, right? Like explain to me this. I said this on the the State of the Union that I gave, but tell me where where I'm at fault here. And you could even relate this to the Mets, right? Let's just say I'll even I'll even paint the picture for the Mets. Let's just say David Robertson has 
uh, a left-handed batting average against of sub 200, right? And let's say Ottavino has a right-handed batting average against of sub 200. If you're the Mets, why would you throw Dave? Why would you just point appoint David Robertson your closer when he comes up to a right-handed batter's lane where it's righty, 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 where he's very good against lefties, but then has to face three righties to close the game? When you could have Ottavino come in where he's very good against righties, but David Robertson's our closer, so we're going to trust him. What I'm trying to say is, I'm so for if you don't have a, a surefire stud at closer. If you're going to operate the rest of the game with these lanes where, like, you know, Wandy Peralta comes in and faces the lefties, Mike King, Ron Marinaccio come in and they face the righties, it's not that hard. Why can't you do that in the ninth inning? Well, I think I agree with you. I think I do. But uh, to play devil's advocate, it kind of just puts us back into the conversation of analytics where it's do we believe that there is a thing to, like, this guy is comfortable pitching in the ninth inning. He does it all the time. We don't want to move him around. Because I feel like, listen, like we've been watching baseball a long time. How often do we see like a pitcher who's who's only good from this inning to this inning or only in situations of this sort of leverage? Or like I feel like something – I feel like that's kind of a real thing. So I feel like it's kind of – and it's also just more comfortable to me to just be like, okay, like that's our closer. And, you know, we win with them, we lose with them. I feel like that's what teams kind of, they go for. Well, yes, but, but like, how, isn't that like doing your team a disservice at a point? Like, where it's like, because, because think about it like this. Am I going to, if I could, if you could sign up tonight for a uh, righty, righty, righty matchup in, uh, what's called, or lefty, lefty, lefty matchup, let's just say, I'll, I'll pay this out. Wandy Peralta is great against lefties, gets every lefty out. If if I told Aaron Boone, Aaron Boone, in the ninth inning, you're going to be up by one run, and there's going to be lefty, lefty, lefty up. Or sorry, lefty, let's just go lefty, righty, lefty, so you add a little bit of argument in. Why wouldn't you just tell Wandy earlier in the day, like, not earlier in the day, but like, when, when you see that window approaching, like, you get to the seventh inning, you get to the eighth inning, and you're kind of foreseeing, like, all right, there's going to be a left-handed window here. I think that there's, I don't necessarily believe in, like, I think it's, let me backtrack. I'm sorry. I'm kind of getting my words twisted, but I don't, if you don't have that guy and Clay Holmes has not been that guy, isn't it a disservice to appoint that guy as the guy? Well, yeah, and I think you're right, but is there something to like the rhythm of a bullpen or maybe throwing a guy off by saying, Hey man, it's the eighth inning right now. I we're going to need you to close. Is there something to that? I don't know. I'm just, I, I say no. Personally, my answer is no, because like I've like, to be honest, Ian Hamilton just got a save for the Yankees the other day, right? Like Ian Hamilton might mean nothing to you. Really cool story, actually kind of a good story of the Yankees season. Uh, it kind of just found his way back and forth to the, through the majors, minors, he's older guy, but Yankeeography. what? Save it for Yankee. He'll have, he'll have a Yankee classic one day. Don't worry. But the Ian Han- the Ian Hamilton save game will be on Yankeeography one day. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think that. I to me, I think that the, the way that gets done is by like the way someone builds that mentality. Like what what I guess I'm trying to say is I think you're right when like if the Yankees went to Clay Holmes today and said, "Yeah, we just need you to pitch in the eighth inning out of nowhere." I think you're right. Like, I think that could throw someone off. But I think that if you take a step back from that or even look at that a little deeper, the reason that he thinks that way is because the Yankees told him he's the closer. I don't agree with that to start at all. Like, I think you should go into – I think unless you – again, unless you have a guy like Edwin Diaz, you should go into the a closer by committee. Every team should do it. Like the Rays do. It's the Rays. It's the Rays thinking. Yeah. No. And and like I said, I think I agree with you. I just was kind of throwing out maybe why I think teams don't do it. Yeah. No. Well. Well. The thing is, you're right. That is why teams don't do it because, like, there there's also probably numbers that will say Clay Holmes in the seventh inning does not pitch as well as Clay Holmes in the ninth, and it's it's probably true. But again, this is where I think this is where people are justified in saying in like not ripping Aaron Boone, but like. 
justified in saying that sometimes Boone doesn't have necessarily like the feel for the game that they would like, or he, or maybe he, he, the numbers supersede any sort of feel that he may have gotten. Um, because I think sometimes you got to understand that if Ron Marinaccio is at, you know, 10 pitches and getting a righty, righty, righty lane in the ninth inning, you don't have to go to Clay Holmes. Leave Ron Marinaccio in. He can throw 25 pitches, even if he has even if he has a 20-pitch inning in the ninth inning and you win the game. Like, I just think that of all the things that the Yankees have done this year, the bullpen usage has been the most perplexing to me. But between the 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 usage of Hicks or the non-usage of Hicks, playing IKF in the outfield, uh, the lack of left fielder, the Anthony Volpe situation, to me the the most detrimental has been the bullpen usage because I think that there's been just in the past week I can count a, like three of, off the top of my head that I probably would have managed a little bit differently. Who am I? That's Aaron Boone versus me. I get it, but uh, a little bit of Monday morning quarterback, sure. But uh, I think that uh, my judgment is sound when I say that I I believe in a bullpen by committee to a T. So look, um, I think. Positive vibes for the Yankees. Uh, look, get a sweep against the Athletics today. Close it out. Um, I think they play. Why am I blanking who they play next? Usually, I have this off the top of my head. Let me let me pull it up real quick. Um, I'll get the Mets schedule as well. But uh, the Yankees. Uh, I can't. Another thing. They play the Rays. Sorry, yeah. This isn't a knock on the Yankees or anything. Mm-hmm. It's more of just like this division's playing out very weirdly. Like, how do the Yankees have sole possession of last place? Well, I was just going to first let, let me say they play next. So they they play have a four game series at home against the Rays and then a four game series in Toronto. So the next eight games, I think it's going to be good to hit your stride and it's going to be a really good telltale sign of where the Yankees are. Real quick before we wrapping my there you go. And that's another that's another thing. The Orioles are really effing good. The Yankees are. How about this? There are five teams in the AL East that have 20 or more wins in the rest of the, in the rest of the AL, there's only two other teams. And in the NL, it's the Braves. The Brewers just got their 20th win. The Pirates, which I don't think they're going to sustain Diamondbacks and Dodgers. There are, there's one, two, three, there's five teams in the entire NL that have over, that have 20 or more wins. There's five teams in the AL East that have 20 or more wins. It's crazy. It's, it's unbelievable. And uh, I'll say this to get the Met fan listeners mad. I don't want to hear the Braves don't lose. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear you're in a tough division. Don't want to hear the Phillies were just there. Don't want to hear the Phillies are a great team because they have great players and the Mets are just get bad get bad luck because they're in a great division. The Yankees are in a great division. The Mets are not in a great division. The Mets are in a good division. The Yankees are in a great division. There's yeah, a difference. Yeah, but the, it's easy. The Yankees have an easier – like, I, actually, I shouldn't say this now. I, I'm just – I'm assuming that the Rays are going to come back down to earth. I just think the Yankees have an easier um, route to maybe winning their division than the Mets do, just because I think the Braves are the best team in the league. That's all. Uh, sure, but like the Mets are, I think the Mets are kind of teetering on the same area as the Yankees, where they're like, let's just let's just look at the wild card, for instance, right? The Mets are two games behind the wild card, and like let's look at the teams above them: the Cubs, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, and the Brewers. I'd be stunned if. All, if two of those teams finish higher than the Mets, right? You know what I mean? Okay. But in the AL, the Yankees are the Yankees are the fifth seed, right? But sorry, looking at the AL wild card, the Yankees are one game behind with the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Angels, and the uh, above, above them, right? And behind them, Astros, Mariners, Guardians. That's yeah. tough. That's a like. It's not like. Yeah, there's three wild cards. I get it, but like, it is it is like for the AL, it is a gauntlet in the AL just to even make the yeah. playoffs, let alone the division. So you you actually you went to a pretty good Met game the other day. I just went for my for the first time this season. What did you think of the the uh, the big jumbotron out there? It's amazing. I love it. I love it too. But I there's two things I hate about it. I hate the font that they use for the for the lineups. It looks like a third grader's PowerPoint project. I, I didn't really I notice, did, but I'll look next time. And just like you did, I'm just so used to seeing the average up there that the OPS throws me off. And I'm like, 
okay, well, there's no way that this guy is batting 625. <laughs> or no, no. Did you see what Ryan said the other day when we went? He was like, uh, oh, was yeah, he was like, he's like, oh, wow, Nito's hitting 276. Nice. Oh, no, that's his OPS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it, I think I like it because, quite frankly, when I go to look at like, how, like judging someone, I'm looking at their OPS. Like I'll breeze past yeah. their average just because it's there first and like baseball reference and I'll see it. But really the telltale sign for me is like, what's your OPS? Right. That, so I, yeah. I, I actually like that, but. I just like the auxiliary. Yeah. I, I would put that there and just get rid of the entire big screen. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe one day we'll do like a podcast from the, uh, the, the big screen or something like that. If we could, that'd be pretty cool. Maybe we'll get yeah. some new font and maybe we could show our OPS on there. Our, uh, oysters OPS. Yeah. Um, but anything else you wanted to add? Uh, let's go next. Is that it? Yeah, just let's go next. Let's just just give me another game, you know? Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. All we got for today. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, interact with all of our socials. Uh, our link tree has all of our links to our own Instagrams, our own Twitters, our own, all of our episodes, Spotify, Apple Music. Um, yeah, that's all. Have a good one. Thank you for listening.